Okay, so we are um, in our 10th week of the At Our Core series. Let me ask you a question. Do I have any re-gifters in the house? Uh, we have a few people that are willing to say, yes, I'm a re-gifter. Do we have anybody here that does not know what re-gifting means? Perhaps we need to introduce you to a fantastic economical thing, right? Re-gifting is when you are given a gift, and for whatever reason, typically you don't like it, you then give it to somebody else. It's, you get the gift, and then you re-gift it. And when we think about re-gifting, um, we, we typically have these horror scenarios in our mind, like you get given a gift, you years later forget who gave it to you, and then you wrap it up and re-gift it to the person that gave it to you. But they didn't forget. And that's the worst-case scenario of re-gifting. Um, but this morning, even though <laughs> those of you that raised your hands said that you actually do re-gift, don't be offended when I say that people think of re-gifting as maybe cold and cheap. Okay, now those of us that might re-gift, we think of it as a very smart, economical thing to do. But most people think, oh, you're just, it's like yard sales, right? You're just pawning your junk off on me. Thanks so much. We think of it in, sometimes in a bad way. But what we're going to learn this morning is that God is all about re-gifting. Here's our value this morning. Our tenth value says this. We value ministry training, and we expect each member to discover and use their spiritual gifts free from the fear of failure. Let me just say it again so you can get all the blanks filled in. We value ministry training and expect each member to discover and use their spiritual gifts free from the fear of failure. Um, let me try to do this before we jump into three things about gifts that we, I want you to remember. Let me just try to paint a picture, okay? I'm getting ready to lose my man card here. I know it. Sometimes, it wasn't funny. You didn't have to laugh at that yet. Sometimes Wendy and I have been known on a Thursday night to sit on the couch and watch Grey's Anatomy. I did just lose my man card, didn't I? I mean, it's gone. Sometimes we'll watch Grey's Anatomy. Now, it's gotten a little bit not so good lately, but back in the day, you know, it's like all TV shows. When they first get started, they're great, and then they do stupid stuff in them, and you're like, I don't think we should watch this anymore. But here's, here's what I want you to get this morning. Here's the picture that I want to frame for you, and it'll help you understand what we're getting ready to talk about. In the, the TV show, Grey's Anatomy, they all work, and by all, there's like a million of them that all have really bad issues in their life, but they all work at a teaching hospital. And so a teaching hospital means this. It means that if you were to go to that hospital with a really bad pain and you just feel like you're just dying, you would be, you'd be laying on a gurney and then a doctor would come in to examine you and when you're waiting for the doctor to give you, cons, you know, solid answers, that doctor would turn to like eight or nine interns behind them and say, what do y'all think? Which is great for training doctors, but I'm thinking as the patient, I don't want to know what the intern thinks. I like to know what the doctor thinks. But that's what a teaching hospital does. And so there's mistakes made, hopefully not to the point of being sued. But, you know, it's, a, it's somewhere they can learn. They can grow. It's a teaching hospital. What I want you to understand is that at the gathering, we want to be that kind of a church. Now, I'm not knocking anybody else. I'm just saying that's on our heart. We want to be the kind of church where people can be taught. They can be trained. They can try. They can fail. They can blow it wide open and still be trained again. Most of the time, 
what happens is the professionals do it. Is that fair to say? The professional speaker, the professional singer. And so, like, you go to some places, some churches, and, the, I mean, like, the people singing the worship, you're just like, dude, when is their CD coming out? They are amazing. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But, boy, I would much rather have authentic, passionate, real worship. And if you can have both, great. But sometimes you have to teach people to get to that place. And so this morning when we talk about gifts, I just want you to remember teaching hospital. My purpose is not to be exhaustive, so I'm not looking to do like an in-depth study on spiritual gifts. I just want to kind of lay the foundation, and then as we go down the road, we'll train more in ministry gifts. So here's where we're getting started. Okay, number one, gifts have a purpose. Gifts have a purpose. And if you're taking notes, just beside purpose, just put in parentheses the word growth. I think that's funny that I just said the word growth when we're talking about teaching hospitals because that's why you would go to a hospital. It's like, I got this growth on my head. If you ever want to have fun, and I'm, well, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. If you ever want to have fun with somebody, just walk up to them and just go, oh, oh, what is that? Oh, what is that bump on your neck? Oh, that's your head. They won't like you, but it's fun. Number one, gifts have a purpose just beside it, right growth. And we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to go ahead and read it while you're turning there. It says this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the full, whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, <laughs> grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we're just going to take, take that apart and discover what are the purpose, what's the purpose behind gifts. And when God gives gifts, when he equips the body, when he gives you a spiritual gift, what's the purpose of this? And here's some of the purposes. One, verse 12, to prepare us for works of service. It says, I'm, I'm giving you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And those are people that are functioning in certain offices in the church. And I'm giving them to you not so that they can write books, not that that's bad, not so that they can you know, like cut these great CDs and sell millions of copies of them and have big houses, not even that that's bad necessarily, but that they might equip the body, okay? They might prepare them to do works of service. Now, here's a Greek word for you. It's katartismos, and here it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, and I don't care if you can pronounce the word, just know what it means. It means complete furnishing. Here's the bottom line. He gives gifts so that the body of Christ would not be like somebody who buys a house and moves into it and never gets furniture. Hey, let's get together and eat sometime. Great. Where do you want to do it? Well, we'll come to your house. Oh, no, don't, don't come to my house. Why not? Uh, just don't. I'd like to see your house. Yep. It's just a house. I, I can't really use it. What do you mean you can't use it? I don't have any furniture. Dude, what do you sleep on the floor? Dude, you're an idiot. 
this Greek word, he gives gifts so that we can be prepared for works of service. He gives gifts so that we actually can be completely furnished. I love that. He's all about giving you everything you need. That's so cool to me. Everything you need to do works of service. Another, another purpose, to build us up as a body. Verse 13 says that we'll have two things because we have gifts. One will have unity and two will have maturity. The Greek word for maturity literally means brought to its end and finished. You can just jot down Philippians 1.6. It says that God is a finisher. He finishes what he started. Paul said, be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. He finishes what he starts. So we're going to be prepared for works of service. We're going to be built up as a body. Um, verse 14 says that one purpose of gifts is to ground us in the midst of deception. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching about the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He doesn't want you carried, around, carried away like somebody in a riptide. Anybody ever been caught in a riptide? I mean, like, anybody here been caught in, like, actually taken out to sea? Because I've never had that happen to me. And I'm thinking I would wet my pants and I'd be in the ocean so nobody would know. But can you imagine just being there, like, just hanging out? You're in the water, and all of a sudden, you're out of control, being sucked away from the shore. I cannot fathom a more terrifying scenario. That's the exact word here. He does not want us to be sucked away by teaching, like somebody stuck in a riptide. He wants us to be grounded. The Greek word literally means tossed. It's like being agitated. If you could take your body and just make it kind of small and stick it in your washing machine. Remember the old washing machine? that would go. You, you're laughing at me, but you want to try it. See, I can, you're all like, that's kind of cool. He, he doesn't want you to be agitated like that. That's not the plan of God. He gives gifts so that we can be grounded in the midst of deception. The Greek word, when it talks about being blown here and there in verse 14... The Greek word is actually from the root of peripheral, which means kind of on the edge. You know, a lot of people are there. I'm throwing a lot of Greek words at you, aren't I? I'm sorry. But I just want you to get the flavor of what he's talking about. Some of these, are, some of these words, these are the only times they're used in the whole Bible. A little important. And so what Paul's saying is God gives you gifts so that you don't have to stay out on the edges. A lot of people in church today, they, will, they like to hang out on the edges. And I get it. The edge is kind of safe. I don't know how you are when you go to a pool. If you're like a jump into the deep end right away or you're like the toe in the, in the water and the shallow end on the step, barely. But he doesn't want you on the edge. He wants to bring you in close. What are we about at the gathering? Near God, near man, making disciples. He's all about close. He gives gifts so that we will not stay out on the edge so that we can be grounded and when you are grounded, the last thing is that you grow up in love. Verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And then it says that we will eventually grow and build itself up in love. By speaking the truth, you can't do that if you're not grounded. If you're not grounded, if you don't know who you are, what you believe, you can't speak the truth. 
And if you're not grafted, you can't do your part. You've got to be grafted into the body. And now, here, here's just recap. Gifts have a purpose to prepare us for works of service, build us as a, as a body, to ground us, to grow us up in love. There's one thing I noticed that's missing, one purpose that's missing, and here's what it is, perfection. That's not in here. The purpose of the gifts that God gives us is not so that we can be all perfect. We are prepared, built up, we are matured. And so it's important to understand this, that training, discovering, and growing in our gifts is what we celebrate, not just success. That means we will not be surprised by failure. Our mistakes won't paralyze us so that we don't try again. Just jot this down. Mistakes aren't fatal in ministry training. Mistakes aren't fatal in ministry training. Now, I've got a clip I'm going to show you. Let me just set it up. Because I think this will help you get it. It's an older movie. If you've never seen it, it's probably well worth renting it. It's called Regarding Henry. It's, it's an old Harrison Ford flick. And here's the, here's the bottom line. Harrison Ford plays a man who is driven. He is all about perfection. He is very hard. He's hard on his children. He's hard on his employees. He is a, he's just type A+. Plus. He's a triple A. And then he has an accident. I, I can't remember if, it's, if he gets shot, if he's in a car wreck, but he loses his memory. He doesn't remember who he is. And when he comes back, he's learning everything all over again. And he has the chance to kind of relearn, and he ends up not being quite the jerk that he was before. But I want you to understand is what you're getting ready to see here. Mistakes aren't fatal in ministry training. Can you guys see over me? You good? Go ahead. You look good, Mr. Henry. Real good. Your face and everything. Thanks. No eggs, no, I don't like eggs. What? Eggs are your favorite. Yeah. Okay, give me a lot of eggs. This is wonderful. All of us together again. We never used to eat breakfast together. Well, I always wished we had. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I do that all the time. You do? Yeah. See? Mistakes aren't fatal in ministry training. I want you to remember that. I love, I just love what that clip says. You made a mistake. Oh, I make mistakes too. Bam. There you go. Um, just when people try things here at the gathering, when we're training people in ministry, when they attempt something and they fail, sometimes we, when we fail, we feel like we need to go crawl away and hide and never try again. I'm telling you something, mistakes aren't fatal. It's part of the process. Number two, gifts have been planned. This is my favorite of the three points. This is my favorite one. You can just write in parentheses the word guarantee. It is G-U-A-R-A-N-T-E-E. -E. You already knew that, but I needed a spell checker to get it right. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, we're going to focus more on this passage when we get to the third point. But for right now, um, just understand that Paul's writing about how the body is made up of many parts, how each member is gifted to help the body to be the strongest that it can be. So the key verse is for us right now is verse 18. And I want you to focus on the word arranged. Verse 18 says this, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body 
every one of them just as he wanted them to be. The, the Greek word is tithemi, but that's not as important as just knowing where else it's used. So keep your finger here in Corinthians. Flip over to Revelation 10, 2. All right, let me just start in verse 1. Here's what's happening in Revelation 10. It says, Then I saw another mighty angel. Everybody say mighty. A mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. That's pretty impressive. When an angel can, can start shouting and then thunder speaking back, that's, this, is, you, this is dramatic, right? How many of you are into drama? Like you're into dramatic presentations. This is dramatic. Like he's coming down. There's a rainbow. What does it mean? And he just like playing. He puts his foot here and he puts his foot there. And so what I want you to understand is this. That same word for he planted is the same word that's in Corinthians that says, but in fact God has arranged Here's what I want you to understand. God has planned this out. We think of ministry gifts sometimes like um, in the parade. You ever go to the Christmas parade and they're just chunking candy out? They don't do it as much anymore because they're scared of getting lawsuits. And so I boo when they go by. Like, I want candy. I mean, just throw candy. We think God's just tossing gifts out wherever they happen to go. No, no, no. How many of you are klutzes? Raise your hand. Anybody clumsy? Okay? You, you trip a lot? <laughs> Don't help. Raise hands. You trip a lot? So, uh, some people do. I mean, they could be walking along anywhere and boom, they're tripping. They could be, you know, that's why people, that don't, they don't need to text while they're walking because they're going to walk into things, right? Listen, this angel that we just described in Revelation, he's coming down out of heaven. What he did not do is come down from heaven and step, trip, roll, jump up and go, Ta-da! That's not the picture here. The picture is not one of accidental standing. The picture is an angel coming down with all the power of heaven and planting a foot here and planting another foot here and standing with power. And that is exactly how God has arranged the members of the body. He has planned who you are. He has planned how you fit. It is not accidental he has thought this through so the bottom line is this God has set you up for a significant kingdom destiny and he has planned everything to make sure you succeed when you put the truth of how he has planted us and arranged us together with the truth in Ephesians 2:10, which says this that God prepared beforehand good works for you to do in Christ Jesus here's what it means our gifts were planned for us to help us do the works prepared before us. Do you see the plan of God? I mean, we're looking at each other like, yeah, we just go to the gathering. Now, you don't just go to the gathering. You don't just attend a church. You are a part of a kingdom. You are a part of a, a king who has actually thought through, I know what Patrick's going to do. Because the works that Patrick's been prepared to do, they've already been prepared for him. 
And so he's going to do those A, B, and C for my kingdom. So I'm going to make sure he has these gifts that match A, B, and C. So he's ready, equipped, prepared. That's the plan of the spiritual gifts. That's amazing to me. And here's what it means. It means that he is setting us up to succeed. I don't know if I've told this story at the gathering or not, but I'm, I've told it a number of times. My, my story of the eighth grade when I was playing basketball was we played in the championship game. And I was not a starter. I sat the bench um, gladly, honestly, because I was terrible. And so I remember our championship game, we are blowing out the other team. And so I'm sitting at the, at the end of the bench. It's me and Charles. And we're the only two guys on the whole team that had not played yet. And, you know, when it's five minutes to go in the game, you're kind of like, I hope I get in the game, right? I want to be a part of, like, I tell, I'll tell my grandkids, I played in the championship game of the eighth grade basketball game in Stanley County. And they'll be like, big whoop, you know. But anyway, it's a great story to tell. But the, the clock starts going down. And so the closer it gets to the end of the game, Going into the game is going to be embarrassing. It's not going to be, it's, it's just going to feel like I'm a loser. And so Charles and I are having this debate as the clock goes down. I hope he puts you in. No, man, I hope he puts you in. I mean, when you really want to go in the game and you're on the bench, you look at the coach. You move closer to the coach. You try to get his attention. Hey, coach. But when the clock's going down, you're looking down. Charles, is he looking? I hope he puts you in. Man, I hope he puts you in. And I'm not kidding you. With a minute to go in the game, I heard, Jenkins, go in. Now, in basketball, you can't just go in. Although we had a guy do that one time. Like, he was so excited to go in the game, the coach went, Cato, get in the game. And he just jumped off the bench and ran on the court. Can't do that. you got to go down to the scores table. You have to check in. You have to go, I'm ready to go in. And you have to wait for the dead ball, which means the ball's got to go out of bounds. There's got to be a foul. they got to call a timeout. Somehow the clock has to stop before you can go in. And I'm sitting there on the, on the stands at Pfeiffer College, which is now university, and I'm looking across at the pack stands, and I'm looking at my team go back and forth, and I'm watching the clock. 50 seconds? 45? Got down to like 30 seconds. I'm looking at the coach like, coach. And he's like, go in the game. I'm like, God. And it got to 10. And the crowd is counting down. 10, 9, 8. Dead ball with seven seconds to go. And I just kind of look back at the coach just pleading. And he's like, and I had to go in the game with seven seconds left. I, mean, I still remember the guy on my team who laughed at me as he high-fived me because I was going in for him. It was humiliating. And it is so not what God does with his children. He is not looking for you to fill space. He's not looking to make sure that you get your time in the game. He has a significant role for you to play in the kingdom of Jesus. And he has planned it out. He has made sure that you are equipped. I believe this. If the gathering does ministry training correctly, we won't have to always jump up and ask you for volunteers. You'll be calling us, saying, man, i got a passion. Can I do and we'll go, let me think about it. Yes! How can we help? How can we help train? 
How can we help set you up to succeed? That's what God's about. Number three, gifts need a process. So gifts have a purpose, and the purpose is for us to grow. Gifts have, a, have, a, have been planned. The result of that is, man, we're guaranteed. You are guaranteed to succeed. And gifts need a process. And just write grace next to that. The, the point here is that we can talk all day long about how God has gifted each one of us. We can get excited dreaming about the kingdom opportunities that we have according to Ephesians 2.10. But at some point, we've got to just start trying to find out what our gifts are. So write this little saying down. Gifts aren't meant to be just motivational. They're meant to be operational. I get pretty motivated. I get pretty pumped about stuff. I mean, if we start talking about, you know, stuff we can all do, I get excited. And we can live in that. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've been guilty of that, just kind of living in the dream. Oh, man, I know God's called me to, he's given me the gift of healing. I just know it. And you just start thinking, you close your eyes, and you just picture, like, hundreds of people in line and there you are with the anointing oil and you're just kind of floating down and touching and touching and people are being healed and crutches are flying and you can have the dream in your head and it's amazing but, but you're just dreaming do it they're not meant to just be motivational they're meant to be operational gifts need a process first corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 It says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The word is clear that each one of us is gifted. And the problem is clear too. We've we got to discover them. We've got to develop them. That happens in a process that has to be full of grace. Now, why does it have to be full of grace? Because people are going to fail, right? They're going to try and they're going to fail. Um. Like, I know, we're, we're, again, we're not trying to teach just exhaustively on the gifts, but, you know, one of the gifts that you'll see in 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of interpretation. And, like, I've actually been in churches where somebody spoke out in a tongue and then somebody had the interpretation, and the interpretation literally was this, give back the pot that you took from me. What? You're kind of sitting there going, now by pot, what are you talking about? Baking things or smoking things? <laughs> you just start wondering, what, what's, what is going through somebody's mind to think that they can say that and like we would, we would think that that's God. People are going to fail and we've got to have enough grace that if, listen, if you want to do the pot interpretation sometime in here, that's cool. Give it a shot. But grace allows me to do what is the leader. Speak the truth in love. Which is like, nice try. Let's keep working on it. Right? If we're gifted for the good of the body, which is what 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, each of us, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So if each one of us is gifted for the good of the body, I believe it's just obvious that the first step is for the body to confirm your gift. It's huge. We joke about American Idol all the time. But how many 
awful auditions could be saved if somebody in the church just looked at that person and said, girl, you cannot sing. <laughs> and they'll ask them, well, the judge will say, well, why, why do you think you can sing? Well, I sing in my church all the time. I'm like, are you, what? what? Like, are, do you, are they deaf? I mean, if people would just say, man, nice try. That's not your gift, but let's keep finding where your gift is. Or you might have some kind of ability in singing, and we're going to hook you up with somebody who really does, and we're going to help you be better. Okay? we got to be willing to speak and hear the truth about how we're gifted, and not just the way we hope that we're gifted. So the first step in the process is taking steps to narrow the gifts and then sharpen the gift. When I first thought that I was called to preach, I went to somebody in my church, my youth pastor, and I said, um, I, th- I, think, I, think I'm, I'm think, I think I'm called to preach. And he said, do a Bible study and for youth. I, like, we had, like, it was called Meat Eaters. What a great name, Meat Eaters. And so every Friday night we'd get together. I mean, it was because the Bible's the meat, not because we had chicken wings. That would have been awesome. Anyway. We would get together. So he just said, you feel like you're called to preach? You feel like you're called to youth ministry? Cool. Next Friday night's yours. I didn't go through like five weeks of training. Um, when I was leading that Friday night, I kind of wished I had had five weeks of training. But he just threw me in there. And then we talked about later, like, okay, here's how you did. Listen, and you fail. The first sermon I ever preached in my life, I had to get up the next week and apologize for it. Because I cussed twice. (laughs) Like, when you're asking the body of Christ to confirm the gift, cussing them out, not such a good plan. But I did. I mean, it's just like, and I mean, you know me, so you're not surprised. I mean, you might be thinking maybe I won't cuss now, but I really try to, I've tried to work hard to filter stuff out, you know, before I actually say them. But I mean, I'm just... I'm just who I'm real. I'm just who I am. I've tried to be real and not be quite as offensive, but literally, when I got done, my pastor said, "Um, wow. (laughs) So you feel called to preach? And I was like, yeah. And he said, I I recognize that there's a calling. I'm going to need you to write a letter of apology <laughs> and get up the next week and read it. I mean, it was just like, and so, you know, I did. And even the, even the apology, I messed up. Because I got up and I didn't say, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry, but. And when you apologize, you don't need to have a butt hanging around. Okay? You just need to say, I'm sorry. But I got up and said, I'm sorry if what I said offended you. I didn't. It's like, no. Nah. <laughs> I should have just gone, I'm an idiot. Forgive me. Right? You're going to make mistakes. It's what happens. Um, <laughs> Wendy and I still joke about, we, we, I was working in this church in Columbia. I was a youth pastor, and then I was the interim pastor. And that's a scary proposition. You take the youth pastor and make him the interim pastor. It's like when you're really young, adults don't want to listen to you anyway, and then you're a youth pastor. So there's certain ways that you tell stories. And I was telling the story about burying my dog, <clears throat> Lassie. I love that dog. And um, how I was burying the dog in like the really hard red clay of North Carolina and so I was all by myself I was in college and so I mean I worked hard I dug this grave and it wasn't deep enough when I put the dog in 
and I didn't want to keep digging, so I I just jumped on the grave and smashed it smashed it with a shovel to try to fit the dog in. And and that's and look, and that's bad, right? But when I'm telling the story to a church literally of 60 and older, I'm doing this, and I'm jumping on the grave. And they were just going. Wow. Our pastor hates animals. Fail, right? Epically. You're going to make mistakes. The bottom line is this. There's a, there's a process in ministry training, and it usually includes trying, learning, and repeating. Trying, learning, and repeating. And it happens in a... In a a place that's full of grace where we can say out loud, nice try. Some of you, um, whatever the gift is that you feel like God's put in your life, you just got to start using it. You know, we're not real polished here, have you noticed? Um, maybe you'd like us to be more polished. We're, we're doing the best we can <laughs> with me as the leader. <laughs> but here's what I love about the process of gift discovery. We can each be ourselves, and we can know that our gifts point not just to God, but to the fullness of God. I want to I just make sure you get this, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, you can just jot that down. I'm going to read it to you. It says, there are different kinds of gifts. Everybody say, duh. No, you can say it out loud, duh. There you go. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God wants all of them and all men. I want you to understand something. Here's what Paul's saying. Man, as many people as there are, there's different gifts. Look around the room. Variety of gifts. And he makes it clear in three verses that even though there's a lot of different kind of gifts, when they're all being used, they're all being developed, not only does it point to God, he makes, a, he makes an intentional point to say that they point to the Spirit, to the Son, to the Father. When the gifts are being developed, when they're being, we're being trained, we're being prepared for acts of service, we're being grounded so that we can stand when people intentionally try to deceive us and pull us away, when we're operating that way, the fullness of God. I mean, that's in three verses, the Trinity is mentioned right there. In the fullness of God is seen. People will walk into the gathering and go, I don't know what it is about the gathering, but man, God is there. And we'll go, we know why God's here. We got Paul to quit jumping on dog graves. (laughs) We fine-tune the gift. So here's where we go from here, practically. We find the gifts that God has given us. We we sharpen them. We we become the best we can at them. And then we re-gift them in service to the church and the world. God is all about re-gifting. He's given you a gift so that you can then give that gift in service to the world and to the church over and over and over again. Uh, let's just talk about the gift of healing, okay? Because um, when you operate in that gift, you know, and again, I'm not talking, any of us at any time 
I mean, if somebody broke their leg right now, I believe that any one of you could, you could put your hand on that person, pray for them, and God could miraculously heal that, that leg, which would be awesome to watch. And I have actually been in services where I've watched, like, legs grow, and you just go, dang, that's cool. But some people have that gift. And so when you know those people because you've seen them grow in that gift, when you need healing, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Somebody said that, didn't they? <laughs> no, you're going to call the person that you know has the gift of healing. I've done that. I've been in this coffee shop during the week, and somebody needed prayer, and then in walked a guy, and I was like, do you still, like, you still pray for people to be healed because you have that gift? And he's like, oh, I do. Will you come back here and pray for this person? And that's the beauty of gifts. Some of you, you want to be like greeters, but you never smile. Might not be a good fit. You might need to count the money. <laughs> right? Because that's important and in a room in the back. Not because you're not important, but because everybody needs to find a place. We all have places where we fit. And gifts, it's a process. Ministry training, it's a process. And we so desperately want to create a culture where you can find your gift free from the fear of failure. Here's stuff you can do when you don't have failure, when you're not worried about it. You do, you do crazy things like um, I transferred from Pfeiffer University midway through my junior year to go to Wingate University on a whim because I saw in the paper that they were starting a football program. And I thought if ever there was a football program that I could be a part of, it's one that's never existed before and I can go try. And so I did. I mean, nobody transfers second semester junior. That's, that's stupid. But I do because I wanted to go play football. And not only did I want to go play football, but I was positive that that was back when, you know, they would do the NFL commercials, me and you, the United Way, and all, you know, I, I just knew. I, could, I would watch them, and I had visions of me saying, me and the Miami Dolphins and you. The United Way. I just knew that it was going to happen. I mean, I knew it. And some of you have dreams, too, and you could taste them. You just know it. And so I transferred because I knew that my dream was going to start at Wingate College in Wingate, North Carolina. And my dream lasted until the first hit from one of the safeties who I, I was not in the play. I was just a receiver. So I went out because, you know, receivers, they just they look great. So you just kind of stand there, you know. I'm just kind of hanging out, and they snapped the ball, and the next thing I knew, I was looking through my ear hole, because <laughs> the guy just, like, blasted me, and I looked at him, and I was like, I'm like, dude, I'm not even, like, the main receiver on the play, and he looked at me like, who are you? You're, like, the offense, and I'm the defense. I hit people, you know, and so I played spring ball and really believed with all my heart that I was going to succeed and, and be the next United Way spokesperson. And instead, I was asked to be the manager of the football team. And, um, and it worked out great, and it was all that stuff. But here's the deal. When, you, when you're afraid of failure, you don't try. You don't pursue. You don't plant a church in a coffee shop. When you're afraid of failing, you hold back. Let me tell you what happens when you try. When you try and fail, it hurts. But you never regret the decision. You know what I can do on Sundays now? I can enjoy watching football. 
I love watch. I mean, I'm, I love watching Cam play, run, throw, score. Apparently, every touchdown for the Panthers. I, I love watching pro ball. You know what? I never think. I never think that should be me. Because I know it should not be me, unless I'm thinking like the guy running out to get the tea and bring it back. Maybe that should be me, right? <laughs> but I never. I never. I'm never envious. I'm never jealous. I'm never full of angst watching the pro football game because I think that should be me on the field. I know better. I tried. I gave it a shot and I failed. Great. Move on. Find your gift and do that. That's the beauty of trying. We want to create a culture where you can try. So your next step is this. Uh, we're, we're kicking off some ministry teams at the gathering. Um, we want to give you the chance to be involved, to find your place, to find your gift, to be developed. Um, everybody wave to Shanna. There's Shanna over there, Shanna Plyler. Um, she's kind of heading this up. Um, great person. She knows a lot about training people and ministry and their gifts and helping you find your place, full of grace. Um, and here's what they're called. They're called our IOS teams, and it literally is I-O-S. And let me tell you why we called it that. I hope you liked this as much as I did. If you didn't, just shh, quiet. We're kind of playing on the fact that I-O-S is known as the mobile operating system for Apple. They create it for the iPad and for their iPhones. Um, and, and here's what it is. It's mobile, it's multi-touch, and it's always being refined and made better. And that's exactly how I see the ministry teams at the gathering. They're flexible. We want to touch people in many ways. We always want to look to be more and more excellent. And so ministry and these gifts, they just point people to Jesus. Mark 10:45, Jesus said this, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so if Jesus came to serve, then when we have ministry teams, what's the whole point of having a ministry team? To serve. And so IOS literally simply means I offer service. And so we are going to do that here. When you're on a ministry team, it is not about you. It's about you finding your gift, finding and refining it and making it better. But we never refine our gifts so that we can, at the end of the day, sit back and go, I'm awesome. Aren't I? And when people walk up and go, you're the best greeter ever. I know. <laughs> can I help you find your seat? No, it's not about us. It's about us pointing people to Jesus and using the gifts he's given us to point people to Jesus. And so if you try something and you just totally fail, great. Scratch one off the list and try something else. Because what we want to do is find the one thing that you're gifted to do that most helps people see Jesus through your life. So here's how you can be a part of it. Um, you can, one, scan the QR code. There is one on the sheet of paper that says next step. And if you scan that with your mobile phone or your iPad, it'll take you to our website, to a page that kind of describes the different teams, and you can get started there. Um, if you don't have a phone like that, just go to thegatheringnow.com, and the very first image that you'll see says iOS teams at the gathering. Um, the point here is I want you to begin somewhere. This is a real practical message, um, probably not the kind of message where we have an altar call and cry and weep. And I mean, but if you need Jesus, we want to introduce you to Jesus, okay, because you'll not be fulfilled in your life if you don't know Jesus. But this is the kind of message where you literally, when it's over, you close your Bible, you get your stuff up, and you walk out the door and say, today, today, I start 
finding my gift. I get involved. I'm going to be a part of serving at the gathering, not just on Sundays, but wherever you go in this fantastic county of ours. That's the point of this message. One thing is for sure. God has created you and gifted you for amazing kingdom work. And it all starts with your next step.